This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2? My name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. I guess I hadn't introduced myself yet. Anybody remember the first prayer you ever prayed? I do. It was this one. God, if you get me out of this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Has anybody prayed that one? Nobody? Is it just me? Tasha? Did you keep your word, Tasha? Because I didn't. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the first time I prayed. It certainly wasn't the last time. And it wasn't the last time that I reneged on my part of the deal. Uh, but that prayer happened. Uh, I, I remember it because, um, because I was lost. I was a little kid. And not like lost like the altar call, you know, all who are weary, come home, come home. Lost like I was in the country and I couldn't find my way home, lost. And so I'm, uh, I'm from a very sparsely populated town, which is surrounded by even more sparsely populated countryside. And so I'm, uh, I'm out, we, I've joked, and it's true that my parents free-ranged us when we were growing up. They would just open the doors in the morning and let us out. And then at night, they would open the doors and eventually we would come home. And I mean, the truth is, if we could have figured out how to lay eggs, we wouldn't have been nearly as poor as we were, but cage-free, farm-free, fresh, you know, human eggs, but we just, we didn't. So we were uh, out in the country, we were fishing, and I decided at eight years old, I I knew the way back to town, so I went home home early, and uh, boy, that didn't work at all. I'm wandering for a while and I realized I don't know where I am and I don't know if you remember eight but you're not the sharpest tool in the shed when you're eight you know and so my decision making capabilities were 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 uh, hampered and uh, and so but I just kept walking there was there was no bare grills back then like I didn't know to find a stream and how to you know or like Michael Scott like cut my pants and and make a, a, a thing out of it I didn't know any of that but I just kept walking. And after a while, like it's been a while now, I'm by now, I'm crying and I'm praying. I don't even know how I knew to pray this. But my prayer was, God, if you get me out of this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Honestly, don't know how I knew to pray that, but that's what I prayed. And there was a moment not long after that, I've wandered for hours and I could see a house in the distance. And so I now am sprinting to this house and, and I knock on the door and I, I was like just covered in whatever you're covered with when you're lost. And, and this nice lady opens the door and she's, she was as surprised to see me as I was to see her and says, you know, I, I tell her I'm lost, I don't know. Uh, my, my, you know, here's my house number, I knew my address. But, so she's, oh honey, oh, come on in. And she gave me an ice cold Coca-Cola. I remember her saying Coca-Cola for some reason, I remember that. But, she took me into town, but she said, honey, if you had come here just a couple of minutes later, I would have been gone. I'm on the way into town to get my hair done. Do people get their hair done still? Do you do that? Or is it just cut? Back then we were getting it done. Um, so she was getting it done, and she was getting it done at the Guys and Dolls Salon, which was a half of a block from my house. Like we shared an alley. So she drops me off at the house, 
and I'm, you know, I'm so happy, and you know, it's my chance to start serving God now for the rest of my life. But Scooby-Doo was on, and so I'm watching Scooby-Doo, which meant it probably would have been about 4:30 in the afternoon, if I remember right. That was about when Scooby-Doo was on. And about halfway through Scooby-Doo, the phone rings, and it's my brother, and he's freaking out, screaming, "Where have you been? We're all looking for you." It was the very first moment that it occurred to me that someone might be worried about me. <laughs> like, I, it honestly didn't occur to me that like half the town was looking for me. I'm home watching Scooby-Doo. And my, and my brother's freaking out because he's the older brother, so technically this was his fault. <laughs> and if you're watching, Dale, it was. Um, and I'm like, bro, I didn't know. Like, I didn't. But that day, for me, Prayer became this interesting idea because you know it is at a certain point in your life there's this message that the enemy lodges into your heart, the wound, and each of us have a different version of it. But mine was you're on your own. And I thought that so much that I didn't even think that anybody would be looking for me. I wasn't even sad about it. But what I realized kind of at that moment, a lesson I've learned again and again and again is that I was never on my own. On my own, Jesus was with me. That when I cried out to God in third grade with a prayer that wasn't very eloquent and not even very theologically sound, that God answered that prayer. That God the prayer, that there's something about that that the early church, and if you've got your Bibles open in the book of Acts chapter two, one of the things they devoted themselves to was prayer. In verse 42, it says they devoted themselves, remember, early church, this is brand new, just brand new Christians, they're being persecuted, and so they've come together to, to save and to be safe and to, in community. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We've talked about that the first week. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, we talked about last week, and to prayer. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. And now the results, right, of those four things were verse, verses 43 through 47. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we encounter your word, we pray that we will encounter you. Lord, that you, the word, became flesh. You dwelt among us. And you've left us this, we call it the Bible, you've left us your word. Not because you're gone, but because you're still here and this is your way of communicating with us. And I pray that that becomes alive and life to us today. And it's in your name we pray, amen. In essential church, that's what we're talking about. Verses 43 through 47 describe a church that was essential 
to their community. They're taking care of orphans and widows. They're taking care of each other. They're selling their stuff and helping each other. They're coming together in community and bolstering each other. That is an essential church. But they weren't focused and devoted to verses 43 through 47. They were devoted to verse 42, those four things, and the results were verses 43 through 47. I've been around church a long time. Any, any, any of my Pentecostal brothers out here? Come on, don't be ashamed. It's all of us. Well, about three of us, actually. How many of y'all were in the lap running churches? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, took a lap? Jeremy, was that you? Were you a lap runner? No? I was not a lap runner either. I was lap running adjacent, but I was not a lap runner. But the things that happened in the, in the charismatic church's environments, by the way, and that still happens, if you ever go with me to a place like Uganda and you're not taking a lap or you don't get in the Congo line, um, they're like, do you not know that Jesus rose from the dead? Have you not heard? Do you not understand how amazing it is? Like, they're completely confused by my lack of emotion over this. They're like, this is the best news ever, and then take another lap. But what I'm driving at is if you're devoted just to that, okay, you're going to warp your life. If you're devoted to just feeding and clothing the poor and the vulnerable, that will warp and burn down your life. If you're devoted to any one of these things in verses 43 through 47 without being devoted to verse 42, those four things, these become a result of it. And I talked a little bit last week about how it sort of correlates with what it is like with personal uh, health and fitness in someone's life. Uh, I, 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 I told you, and it's a little embarrassing, but over the pandemic, I managed to uh, swell up a little bit. eating my feelings. Apparently I was angry, right? So I'm, uh, I, I'm looking at myself uh, Easter of last year and Easter of this year going, man, either I'm having an allergic reaction to a medication or I have some work to do. Now here's the thing. That whole time I was actually out there getting my steps in, okay? I was doing the cardio. I was out there hitting that, but I was clearly not paying attention to nutrition. I didn't have any accountability with what was happening at all. So I had like one of the four things. But look, these four things kind of roughly correlate with that. The word of God is like your food, right? It's nutrition, it's meat, it's milk. That's the metaphor used of the word. So when you start with nutrition, but if you stop with nutrition, there's a lot of thin people that are not very fit because you've not done strength training or cardio, right? And so, if, but if you stop with that, it says the next one is fellowship. Fellowship is the community around it. Y'all CrossFit people, I know who you are because you keep putting it on Instagram. But you know whatever I see, your Instagram, you know what I see? There's more than one of you. You're in a group together. There's something about that when it comes to personal fitness and to health that when you're in a group together, fellowship, they were devoted to fellowship. And then it says that they were devoted to breaking of bread. And I told you that I think that sort of co uh, coalesces with the idea of strength training. That 
if, if you're just doing cardio and diet, but if you're actually lifting, you're, you're creating strength that helps you to burn the calories. And what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11? There are many of you who are weak because you've not discerned the body of Christ properly, speaking about communion. There's something about the table, the Lord's Supper, that brings strength to you. But this week, the fourth one, prayer, is about your heart. You see, prayer does not change God's mind. Prayer changes your heart. And there's something about prayer in changing your heart that puts you in a position that allows you to be prioritizing what God has put in your heart, that strengthens your heart. And that's the the little thing we're gonna follow today is I wanna show you how prayer, the reason that it causes these verses 43 through 47 is that it literally helps you to position your heart, position who you are. It helps you to prioritize what's important in your heart and it strengthens your heart. And so if you're here, buckle up for our brothers and sisters who are watching online and Peter Shindy, if you happen to be watching in India, know that we're praying for you right now. His girl's in the hospital in India. They think it's a COVID thing. Not sure, but Peter, we're praying for you. We love you. Uh, Ron uh, and Maddie Michelle, who just ran 13 miles yesterday in Dallas to raise money to set slaves free, uh, managed to do all 13 miles and raise enough to set uh, 13 slaves free this year. So Ron, Maddie, good work on that. And Travis uh, Fisher, too, buddy, uh, still in the hospital right now. He's had a surgery. Just know we love you, man. We are praying for you. So uh, if you've got your Bibles open, I want you to stay in the book of Acts. I want you to keep your finger there, but I'd also like you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 11 as well, because prayer, when I say it positions your heart, what I want you to hear me, I want to hear what I'm saying what it means to have your heart positioned. Because it says here, they were all filled with awe, verse 43 in chapter two, all filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, okay? So there was awe there, but I wanna show you why I think prayer was what was the ground with which those things grew from. And in the book of Luke, chapter 11, I wanna show you why I believe that. Uh, The disciples had come to Jesus. One day it says, verse one, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to cast out demons. Lord, teach us to do miracles. But Lord, teach us to pray. I think, pretty sure I could make a case for this, that they knew that the secret to what Jesus had called them to do was not in learning how to cast out demons better, but in how to pray. What did Jesus say in Matthew 17, a demon that didn't come out? He says, okay, look, this one, that one doesn't come about but by prayer and by fasting. They knew that there was something attached to praying. They saw Jesus every day withdraw to pray, that there must be something about that. So Lord, teach us to pray. And these next few verses through verse 11 is Jesus' sermon, his lesson on prayer. And if you start right there at the top, he said, when you pray, say this, Lord, our Father, right? Father, and I think the Matthew version, our Father in heaven, but Father, holy is your name, hallowed 
It's, it's an acknowledge. And by the way, let, let me say it this way. For some of us, when you sit down to pray, does it ever feel like weird? Like, I don't know what to say. I, like, I'm just sitting here. I, 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 I'm praying, I'm praying, and I am 38 seconds in, and I'm out of stuff to say. I don't know what to say anymore. So now I'm just sitting there, and I feel like a failure, and I feel like a shameful. And by the way, the gospel is never about shame on you, right? Always about shame off you. And Jesus kind of gives us a really great little grid to follow as you're building out your prayer life. Holy is your name. What a great way to start every prayer. Lord, you're holy. Lord, you're complete. The stuff that I have put on my wife that I'm trying to get her to fill my needs that only you can fill on my job, none of that, is, but you are holy. You are complete. You can fill that in my own heart. And then he goes on to say that your kingdom come. One of them says, your will be done. I think one of the translations, your kingdom come, your will be done. One of the greatest prayers, I wish I could remember who said it because I'd give them credit. Every prayer that I pray these days, when I'm home, it's like, hey, Lord, would you give me whatever I would ask for if I knew everything you knew? Like, here's what I want, but if I knew everything you knew, what would I ask for? That's what I'm asking for. That is your kingdom come, your will be done. You know it, Lord, so I, here's what I want, but I want more than anything, your will to be done. Give us each day our daily bread. This one we don't have to think about as much. In Uganda, by the way, the people that prayed, Lord, we're desperate, we need food, give us today food. God chose you to answer that prayer today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive who sins against us. It is such a healthy, emotionally, but spiritually thing to say, Lord, I blew it here. I, 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 forgive me for this. Again, not about changing his mind. That changes my heart, because now I've said out loud what I don't want to say because I did this, but I get to a father that loves me, a Jesus that paid for it, already forgiven. Lord, but I get to say it out loud and it empowers me to forgive others and then lead us not into temptation. The, the language is best. I understand it and reading other commentators say that the best way that this is worded is that, Lord, lead us not into temptation as, as keep us from temptation. Have you ever prayed that? Like, it's you that struggle with the temptation here or there, have you literally ever prayed that? And then on a daily basis, and God, would you keep me today from being tempted today? This is a great grid. It's just a great way to pray. When you don't know what to say, you can recite this, many people do. But making it personal to you is so, for me anyway, has been very profound. But look, Jesus' sermon on prayer is not over. He goes on to say, as he's teaching them to pray, suppose, verse five, you have a friend. You go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. He came to me, and I have no food for him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. He says this, I tell you, even though he will not give, uh, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, 
Because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. If you stop there, the sermon's not over. You're going to think that what Jesus is saying here is then here's how you pray, and the way to do it is just keep knocking, keep begging, keep making a scene, keep having shameless audacity, because eventually you'll get this guy to open the door and shut you up and give you what you want. But if you don't hear anything else I say today, and it is likely, I do want you to hear me say this. That is not what Jesus is saying. Keep reading with me. So I say, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he goes on to say, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Some of y'all would actually do that just to screw with your kids. But for the most part, do you know what I'm saying? That's what they have for the TikTok now. You have no content if you're not doing that. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him, to those who ask him? Now, let me ask you this. You've heard me say this before. When you're reading a parable, a story of Jesus, it's important to know who you are in the story. Who represents you in the story? Because that is the lesson you take away from it. So who are the characters in this story? Friend, right, knocking on the door. You got the one inside, the father, right, who's answering the door saying, ah, man, you woke me up, go away. So those are the two characters in this story, right? Is there a third character in this story? Think with me. The children inside with their father. Of those three, who are you? You're not the father. I would like to suggest that when Jesus said in John chapter one, that those who have believed, right, that he gives the power to become the sons of God, the children of God, you are not the friend outside knocking, you are the children inside with your father. In my prayer life, I spend a lot of time acting like the friend outside begging God to get something done for me. But what does he say here? He says that you heavenly fathers, uh, earthly fathers, you know how to give something good to your son. It, what is the, the op look, look, the opening line of the prayer? Father, you're not the friend. You're the children inside. You're not outside hoping for three loaves of bread. You're inside inheriting the kingdom. How many times does our son ask for food in a day? He's never begging for it. In fact, his main thing is, I don't know what to eat. Do anybody else's kids do that? Stand at an open pantry full of food. I don't know what to eat. That's how blessed he is. There's so much he can't even make a choice. When we're praying, 
The position of my heart, okay, when I say that he positions our heart, my prayer positions me because my Father is who is answering my prayers. I'm not begging him. I'm not, he is not giving me a scorpion. He is not giving me a stone. If an earthly father can do that, how much more your heavenly father? He's saying, look, if a friend comes and starts harassing you at midnight, right? If Shindel is knocking on my door at midnight and looking for a loaf of bread, you know, I might be a little annoyed, but I'll give him a loaf of bread. My neighbors. But not my son. My son wakes up every morning. He's not up in the middle of the night. Well, actually, that's not true these days. He works out at like 11. He's on like frying chicken at midnight. Anyway, but he's not up in the middle of the night begging for food because the food is already there. And my positioning of my heart, when I know who my father is and I know what my position is, it changes my prayer life from begging and knocking and borrowing to just waking up and being a son of God. And if you're a modern uh, human being, you might be insulted that I would use the word son instead of daughter because it's sexist, but listen to me. In that culture, the son inherited everything. They inherited the most. And so when Jesus said son, and I appreciate the NIV, the nearly inspired version. I know if you look at if you dip, you dip your Bible in a bucket of water or a bucket of milk, it, you know, it's pretty good. But they change, they neuter the language a lot these days, but they lose the power of it because Jesus saying that to that culture said it to men and women. You know what that means? Tasha, it means he was saying to a woman in that culture, you are not less than a man, you are equal to a man. Jesus was not a sexist. Jesus did not reduce women. Jesus elevated women. So you can neuter it to children, but you are losing the power of what Jesus said, which is that a woman and a man in the kingdom of God are treated just like a son in that culture, which means you inherit the kingdom, not the leftovers of it. You are positioning your heart of who you are, and we have to hurry, because I, I get really excited about this, but I want you to hear me say <laughs> before we leave that it doesn't just put me in a place where it positions my heart, it also puts me in a place where it prioritizes my heart. What do I mean by that? Possessions could be a priority, but in the kingdom of God, if, if he's my father, that's not my stuff anyway. When I was booking bands back in my old days, one of our favorite places was colleges, and you know why? Because there'd be some 20-year-old kid out in Kansas, Bill, probably, that he was working at a college and he was using what we called OPM, other people's money. So he'd pay our bands like top dollar, like Cademan's called, get like 20 grand out of college because that kid didn't care. It wasn't his money. In the kingdom of God, my son don't much care when he leaves the lights on because it ain't his money. He's using OPM. So it positions me to know that whatever it is that I have to give, like when you guys gave to help slaves be free, to help the Ugandans eat, the Haitians, the, the uh, Hondurans, like when you're doing that, it's not even your money. Isn't that freeing? And at the other hand, on the other side of that, there's this freeing of saying that there's more need in this world than you have money, I promise, the richest man in America will run out of money before the world runs out of need. 
So you also then have to position your heart and then prioritize it to say, Lord, who do you want me to help? How can I serve but in the way that you want me to serve? Every day, right now in my life, I wake up with more need than we have money as a church. And my job, your job, is to do one thing, pray and listen, and that's it. In fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, if you feel manipulated, don't give. The moment you feel like someone's working you over and manipulating you, put your debit card away. Now, he talks about giving out of a plan, out of a predetermined thing, and you know where that comes from? Prayer. Look, if everybody had a heart for Haiti like I have a heart for Haiti, nothing would get done with drug addicts in Columbia, Tennessee. If everybody had a heart for drug addicts in Tennessee, nothing would get done in Honduras. It's literally a treasure hunt. You're looking for what the Lord is leading you to do. Right, Jerry and Tracy, you're not fundraising for a ministry. You're just on a treasure hunt looking for those who have a heart and where your heart is, your treasure is. Like that, where their heart is gonna take them to that ministry for healing the emotional health and fighting for the emotional health of children. They are out there and that's who's gonna fund it. But if everybody had a heart for that, nobody would have a heart to help fund the local church. You, you see what I'm saying? That's why the Holy Spirit is important and why prayer matters because it allows me then to figure out what are the priorities that he has for me. And then the last thing is really simple and it is that he strengthens our heart. The thing about cardio that I hate, well, actually, there's about 100 things about cardio that I hate, not the least of which is that it is it's just boring. <laughs> Y'all that do that runner's high thing, like Bradley, I don't know if you're one of those guys, I mean, but you come off the, oh man, I just feel amazing. I don't hate you as much as I just don't understand you. I don't get it. God didn't make me that way. The, the runner's high, I don't get. Because the thing about cardio is it is this repetitive and most of the changes that you see I mean, Brian is out there doing triathlons, you're swimming, you're on bikes, and you're running, and most of the changes that you see are almost imperceptible. But if you stick with it, it strengthens your heart so that when it hits the fan, you are in shape to push through to what's coming. That's why it's important to build a daily life of prayer to get your cardio together now so that when it hits the fan, you're not like me going, oh, God, I can't get anymore, I can't run anymore, I can't. That you've already been putting in your steps, you've already been, so that when it happens, your heart is already strengthened to determine Jesus loves you just as much whether your heart is in shape or it's not in shape. But by changing your heart, that's how much Jesus loves you, is to show you how to change your heart so that when it comes, you are strong enough to stand for what is coming, and boys and girls, kids of all ages, I don't know what's coming in our country, but I know this, we need brothers and sisters whose hearts are strong. And we're gonna only become strong, not on the elliptical, but on our knees, to allow it to position my heart. I'm not praying anymore like a beggar to allow it to
prioritize my heart so I'm not chasing my tail, trying to do everything frantically, but just trusting the Holy Spirit, following the lead and not the need, and then allowing it to strengthen my heart so that I can endure for the long haul, like Paul said, man, for the race that's set before me. Would you consider this week beginning to build a life of prayer? Start with something simple. I've told you before, but I use the Pause app, John Eldridge, one of my heroes. Just a little 10 minute prayer in the morning. We played the videos at the beginning, I wanted you to see them, but Pastor W. Smith, his pandemic project was to create music with scriptures and with prayers on top of them. Maybe that's what you're gonna do this week. One of my favorites has been, I go to Ephesians. And whenever Paul says, you read the Lord, I pray this, then I just start inserting I and me in it. I pray that my eyes are opened. I pray that I am full of it. I pray, like, just pray the scriptures. You can never go wrong with praying the scriptures. And if your heart's broken and your life is shattered, man, go to the Psalms because you know who knew how to pray? David. Those are all true prayers. And when you think, but I don't know, I don't know how to pray, I'm not very good at it. I love that the fact that Romans 8 says, that, hey, when you, or 7, I don't remember, when you don't know how to pray, that the Spirit is already praying on your behalf. And I love that the idea of, uh, in, in Revelation, that this the, uh, prayer was the incense of the saints going before the throne. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus sweetens up my stinky prayers. That I'm eight years old. God, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And Jesus is saying, hey, Father, I know that's what he says, and he, but here's what he really means. He just wants to go home. <laughs> and I believe he still does that. You see, on that day, if I'd have had a cell phone, you know what I would have done? I'd have called my mama, and she'd have found me eventually. and it would have robbed me of the opportunity to see God move on my behalf. I dare you this week that the next time a crisis hits that the first thing you do is not pick up this, but pick up this and get to the throne room of Jesus and pray. Make some calls, sure, but go here first. Go to your knees first and see what Jesus will do See what Jesus wants to do that you're just doing for him and you're not gonna do it nearly as good that he might do it on your behalf. Next week, we're gonna talk about what it means that all were saved. Verse 47, it says, and they all were together, right? And, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those that were being saved. You might have noticed I haven't actually said that sentence yet this week or talked about it. We're gonna sum it up next week what he means by that, but as a church, the way that we are an essential church is to do the things that are essential, and it is these four things that we've just covered in these last four weeks. Start where you are, get your nutrition, man, get some word of God in you. Make sure that you are hanging out with other believers and small groups and meetups and your Bible studies and prayers and wherever that you're together. Make sure that you are at the table every Sunday, but at your own home. Go to the table. Take a moment to the gospel inside of you. And fourthly, to devote yourself to prayer starting today. 
On that note, stand to your feet and I want to pray for you. Father, you are good and you are holy. You are complete. You are who you say you are and it is my prayer, Lord, that today that our church family walks out of here, each of us individually, we're not a church what, we're a church who. And individuals of us devoted to prayer I believe that that kind of a church literally will change the world. Lord, anybody right now that's feeling any shame or guilt because they didn't do it right, Lord, would you just wash that away? The gospel is never shame on, it's always shame off. Reject that from the enemy, it's not from God. Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Haiti right now, you are still on the throne and we hold on to hope for them, and we hold on to hope for our own nation as well. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So be it. Love you guys. God bless you. I'll see you uh, next week.